Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's Dina Calmetti here and Susan Davis with Jesus 24-7. And today we're going to continue in the series, the last part of the series of the Song of Solomon, Love Story of Christ, Chapter 8. Susan, welcome back to the show. Hi, Dina. So glad to be here and so glad to talk about this beautiful book. We've been going through all these chapters and this is it. We're in the final stretch, Dina. <laughs> no, I know. and I'm excited to see what happens in the final chapter. Yeah, this is it. And it's worth hanging in there for because we're really going to open it up and show the deeper meanings. We implore everyone that if you're just now coming on to this eight section teaching, that you might go back and start from the beginning and watch the whole set, the whole series. We even suggest that people might enjoy it if they want to do a Bible study and they can stop the video and have time for discussion. And so that's kind of where we are. And I'd like to recap, if I could, just how this whole project came about this study of the Song of Solomon as a dual story of Solomon, his bride, as portraying also Christ and the church, okay? So I, years ago, ventured into the Song of Solomon. I got excited about it, and I wanted more information on it, which obviously God put this on my heart, you know, and I found online this devotional study by Pastor Escher Shoshana. It was a wonderful study, and Escher just went to unbelievable ends to reveal more information about this. And so if you go back to one of our other parts of the series, you'll learn more about Pastor Escher. But I also started to do a Bible study and some retreats, and as I was studying for these things. You know, I put my mind to study about a month out for each of the 14 retreats I have done. And I always got a lot of deeper revelational meaning out of it myself. And so I've incorporated that, you know, alongside some of the findings of Escher. And Escher and I became friends. We really did. I visited him three times and he's a wonderful person. And so we had some great visits and just truly a major Holy Spirit filled individual. And no doubt the kind of person that the Holy Spirit would, you know, reveal these wonderful truths to. So with that said, we can go ahead and get back into this final chapter eight. And it is as exciting as all the other seven chapters. So I'm so happy that you all have hung in there with us. And we do ask that you share the book with other people, the story, because there's so much more to it, so much more deeper meaning. Absolutely. This is the love story of Christ, you all, to all of us. It is a dual meaning, like Susan said. There's, you know, two stories going on here. Yeah, so if you would like a uh, copy of this, you'd like to download it, I'm giving you permission to do what you may with it and um, tell others about this series. Thanks a lot, Dina, and uh, for everything you've done with this project. And we also thank Deanna for working with the podcast. But anyway, we're going to start and we're going to wrap this up. I'm going to talk about some of the miraculous things that happened to me during the many times that I was studying and researching the Song of Solomon. And that's going to be kind of fun. 
So let's fasten your seatbelts. We're about to get ready here. And I've called this the creme de la creme of the Bible. It is the secret place, the vestibule of the deeper walk with the Lord Jesus. And so much deep meaning in this glorious book. And the Holy Spirit calls it the Song of Songs because it is the song of all songs, the story of God's love story for his church. So we're going to go right here into chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, Oh, that thou wert as my brother that sucked the breast of my mother. When I should find thee without, I would kiss thee. Yea, I should not be despised. Well, I got to laugh about this book because do you When I first started teaching Song of Solomon, I was like, oh, brother, I can't believe I'm teaching this book. (laughs) It's a, you know, it's a love story between these two people that are just madly in love. And that's interesting. God would use them and talk about their relationship with each other. And the church is in a marital relationship of sorts with Jesus. And that's why it's he uses the marriage couple to reflect how close he is to his church. Because there's really no other relationship that we know of that even comes close to how close God wants to be with his people, except for the marriage covenant. The Bible calls the marriage a, a mystery. It's, you know, the union of two people, one flesh, literally become one flesh. And it's a very exciting idea that God wants to connect with us on that level, spiritually. And so we take a look at this. The scripture is specifically about the bride lamenting that she wants to show her love more publicly. Now, this is a picture of the bride of Christ who is open with her love of Christ, while the lukewarm church has a lackluster interest in Christ. So that's the difference. Uh, That's a big difference, Dina, between... This church called the Bride of Christ versus this lackluster, lukewarm church. Oh, they're Uh, like night and day. Oh, yeah. I mean, the lukewarm church, they just barely want to talk about the Lord. And that's all the Bride of Christ can do is talk about Jesus. Am I right? You're right. You're right. Um, People often say to me, do you have anything else to talk about other than Jesus? (laughs) Well, and the fact of the matter is, is that when he's your world and he's, you know, right. you talk to him every day, you're in his word, you know, mm-hmm. you worship, you, you know, it's, it, it is all about Jesus. So yeah, big difference between the bride of Christ and the lukewarm church. Oh, it's so much more than your world. It's your future too, by the way. Eternity. <laughs> Much bigger than the future. Eternity. Right. right. So we have uh, a relationship with our Lord that is, it goes, extends beyond this life. When you start it, when you become saved, a lot of people think, well, that's it. I've done it. It's like, no, you are just beginning. It's just beginning. That's right. You haven't lived until Jesus is in your heart and a part of your life. You've, You've surrendered to him. Your life has just started. Exactly. It's a walk that starts at that point and goes forward, and it never ends. It's a never-ending relationship. Amen. And and that's great. You know, I said in the one of the past segments I talked about, isn't it wonderful to know that we don't have a fickle God that is yes. in and out of relationships? I mean, 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants a relationship with us. You know, I feel he'll try really hard not to let go. Oh, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. He'll try very hard not to let go. I know in the past, you know, I might have fallen. I might have stumbled, but he's picked me up and he hasn't let go of me. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, uh, that's, that's what you got to love about him. And so in verse two, it says, I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house who would instruct me. I would cause thee to drink spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. So earlier in the story, we find the groom talking about the wine and pomegranate juice, which both symbolize the blood of Christ shed for his church. And so now in this passage, we find the bride discussing this about the pomegranate juice which and the wine, which is symbolic for her own crushing or dying to self for the love of her groom. So we'll take a look at this. She's talking about, I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine. Boy, that is loaded right there because spiced, we talked about previously, spices are commemorative in this book as representing Christ and his crushing. Because spice is one of those things that you take it and you crush it until it's powder form. And in this book, it talked about the powder of the merchants. But these items in this book previously, the crushing releases flavor, fragrance, and even colorful dyes. And that's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. He was able to produce, well, that's what God the Father commemorates Jesus, that his crushing and everything on the cross that he went through for us was a beautiful fragrance, a beautiful color, a beautiful taste to the Lord God. And it's our salvation. <laughs> it's, it's a difference between heaven and hell for us. So yes, of course. So that's why the mention of spiced and then wine, of course, the grapes are crushed to produce wine. And the wine, when the grapes are crushed, can be red, which represents the blood of Christ. And then we see the pomegranate in the juice of the pomegranate, the juice referencing when you cut open a pomegranate, we've mentioned before, and the juice that comes out is just like blood red. It, so both the grape and the pomegranate produce a juice that is unquestionably absolutely similar to blood and so as we have spoken before it's just fantastic that god created these items at the beginning of time to commemorate jesus Amen. who would come to earth so many years later and then do what he would do for us that's fantastic oh the pomegranates find them during solomon's time and that first temple that solomon built those priests had pomegranates embroidered on the around the edge of their the trims of their robes and also it was you could see pomegranates on the columns in the temple and all of this was to commemorate jesus the whole way Amen. always and that's that's very exciting and it's also exciting to know that our god he knows the beginning from the end and we can trust him implicitly for everything and we can know that he has a plan and he's going to work his plan and he is working his plan by the way Amen. and that's a very exciting thing and we can trust him 
to, you know, care for his own. So let's go forward to verses three and four. His left hand should be under my head. And this section is symbolic of Jesus who has his hand under the mind of the church as we have and come into the mind of Christ. And as we read his word and we spend time with him in the secret place or in prayer, deep prayer, getting to know him in God's presence, all of these things lead to a renewing of the mind. That is literal called sanctification. And that's when God begins to change the person's heart. And it goes on to say, and his right hand should embrace me. And so this is a picture of the church being embraced by the righteous right hand of the Lord. And if you want to go further with this study, you can go into scripture and search all the mentions of the right hand of God which also is in reference to righteousness in the Bible. And it's a real great study to study the references in the Bible about the right hand of God. Amen. And Jesus himself will sit at the right hand of God, by the way. Amen. He's there right now. Right. (laughs) Physically speaking, we have his Holy Spirit. Yes. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Okay. Let's take a look at verse 4. It says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up nor awake my love until he please. So when I was reading this, the Lord impressed on me the story of Jesus sleeping in the boat in the middle of a storm. For some reason, I was thinking of it. And with the groom holding the bride and she could have his calm even in a storm. And I can't help but to think about the storm that was going on around them. And recently, I saw a little news clip that said the lake or where they were, where that storm was going on, is actually very rarely has a storm because the water is mostly relatively calm. So it'd be very unusual for that kind of storm to take place. But it must have during this particular time. And imagine those disciples trying to pull Jesus awake when they've got the storm going on and he's just chilling, right? (laughs) Well, and it was like a hurricane. So it wasn't right. like just like a little storm. It was like it was, a hurricane. And the Right. It was it was it was big. And so he gets up and you know, he basically says, Peace be still and he calmed the sea and calms the storm. I have to think at that point that that was more frightening to them than the storm itself when he literally calmed that sea. That must have been a very telling moment for them. Well, yeah. Yeah, it would be. I mean, here they're panicking, and then they, you know, they wake him up, and they see him calm it just like that. Peace be still. Just like that. So, yeah, they had to have come to the realization this is indeed God. Right. And so you'll find that reference in Matthew 8 about Jesus in the storm. But let's go on to verse five. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness? So very basically, we see the Lord's bride coming up out of the wilderness, which is the world that he is separating her from to a higher place. So we've got one story, which is a true story between King Solomon and this bride, the Shulamite woman, And then we have the dual meaning of a more symbolic, spiritual meaning 
behind it. The wilderness here actually is talking about the world and the evil world. And that's how God refers to this world in this scripture. And so she's coming up from the wilderness. And that's where, that is where God always takes his church up out of the wilderness to him. And so God cannot lower himself to sin and evil. And so the goal for the church is to bring her out of the evil. And that's the goal, is to be set apart from the world, so to speak. Amen. And that's where we're going. If we're truly Holy Spirit-filled Christians, we're going to be coming up out of the wilderness, set apart from evil. And so it goes on to say, who is this that's coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? And so her coming up out of the wilderness, she doesn't do apart from her beloved. She's leaning on him. That's the only way that you can be set apart. You can't do this walk without a close, intimate relationship with the Lord. Right, Dina? That's right. There's, it's kind of impossible. You need him. You need him. Right. And so this is a very visual look at how the church is going to make it up and out of the wilderness. It has to be done by leaning on the beloved. And there's no other way. Anything else you're going to fail at. And he wants us to lean on him. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, not like... I guess. Yeah, he wants us to come to him. He wants us to lean on him. He wants us to get strength from him because he is our rock. He's our shelter. He's our everything. So yeah, he wants us to lean on him. He doesn't want us to do it alone. He'll give us strength to do whatever we need to do in this life. And he plays many roles as he's pulling us up out of the wilderness. He has many roles. He's comforter, husband, counselor, friend, friend, father. I mean, wow. (laughs) Teacher. Right. In our case, boss. Right. Right. (laughs) And, And she abides in the vine, who is Christ. And remember, we talked about earlier in the study about the little boxes that mess with the vine. And those are the sins or the demonic spirits that are so furry and cute. But watch out, they've got sharp teeth. And that's in reference to a little bit of leaven spoils the whole lump and is the same meaning behind the little foxes spoil the vines. Mm-hmm. And so, but she can't conquer those little foxes apart from abiding in that vine. Amen. And that's why this is such a telling book. Okay, verse 5 uh, says, I've raised thee up under the apple tree. So clearly we find God talking about how he was the bride's first love. And as the passage Song of Solomon 2, chapter 2, verse 3 says, we see that the apple tree is Christ. So I'm going to read that scripture. I'm going back into chapter 2. And that's because this verse right here, 8, 5, is referencing chapter 2, verse 3. And it says, as the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. And there thy mother brought thee forth, and there she brought thee forth that bare thee. So 
this entire section indicates that the Lord knew the bride before she was born to her mother, and that's in reference to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And so we get a real picture of this apple tree, which is Christ himself, and she was under his shadow, his teaching, and it was a good taste to her. It was sweet to her taste. What are those apples in reference to? It's the fruit of the Spirit, which we see in the New Testament, talking about the love, the long-suffering, and kindness, and all of that. And so that's a real exciting statement there. We also saw back in a previous chapter, I think it was chapter 7, where one of the ways he admires her is the smell of her nose is of apple. And that's in reference to <laughs> she's been eating those apples and he's admiring that she was, has been partaking of those fruits of the Spirit. And so it all points to his teaching and his ways. And it just totally reflects Jesus as the lamb and his teaching of the fruits of the Spirit. Wow, this is just loaded with deeper meaning. So we're going to go on to verse 6, and I have a little story to tell about this, Dina. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. Okay. <laughs> I have to ex share an experience I have related to this one verse. Okay. One day, the Holy Spirit set me up, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my son, who was young, a young, young kid at the time, and he was in the car. I was taking him to school when he was little, and he had found a letter seal and wax that I had in my desk. You know how kids are. They get into everything, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he was looking through my desk, I guess, and he found this seal and this wax, and he asked me what it was. And so I launched into this giant explanation of how you seal letters with these seals and then i went on and i talked about how kings put their seals on official documents and that's really so, cool that you even had that in your drawer yeah yeah it was something i had so i was talking about how you know once kings would put a seal on something that that was it it was it was in stone it couldn't be changed Mm -hmm. We see that in uh, Daniel. Yes. Uh, the king couldn't reverse the order of Daniel going into the den because he had put his royal seal on it. So here I am talking about <laughs> the importance of these seals. And so it was funny because after I had watched into this explanation with my son, I went back home and I started to get into the devotional study of Pastor Escher that I've mentioned before. And wouldn't you know, unbeknownst to me, I would come to the teaching about set me as a seal upon thine heart, <laughs> as a seal upon thine arm. And I was like, oh, come on. That's, that's I love funny. how he does that. I love when he does that. <laughs> yeah, and I just spent the hour before, you know, going through this whole thing about the seals, okay? <laughs> but this is exactly here, this scripture that says, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. And so how that works exactly is the seal that God puts on our heart is also a seal on our arm because when we have God in our heart, then we do with our arm what is coming from our heart like the members of our body, our hands and our feet and our, you know, 
are an extension of our heart, basically. And so if we have Jesus in our heart, then we're going to do what he wants when it comes time to make these choices. We filter our decision-making through our heart, the heart we have for the Lord. Amen. That's how the Holy Spirit helps us with sin. It's that seal in our heart that comes from the Lord. And so when we have to make a choice, because life is full of choices, and we have to choose door A or door B, right? Mm-hmm. And door A is definitely, you know, choosing for the enemy or sin. And door B could be for the Lord or however you want to look at it. But it's the heart that goes, no, <laughs> okay, I'm going to go for the door marked no sin because of that seal in my heart. I don't want to hurt the one I love. And we've talked about this before because really only love can ever enable the Christian to stop sinning. Amen. That is so true. When you are involved in sin and you're trying to get out of sin through a lukewarm relationship with the Lord, then it becomes a point of duty and difficult. But if you have a full relationship with the Lord and you get to know him as a real person and appreciate him in a love relationship that the church has with him, then when you go to sin, it's not going to be so easy because you don't want the sin to separate you from that great love. You don't want to disappoint him. You don't want to hurt him. These are all reasons not to sin. And only the Holy Spirit can do this to you. This is not, you give permission for the Holy Spirit to come in and fill you. But these things are through the power of the Holy Spirit and not through your own flesh. The flesh can't handle it or do it. And that's why we've got to get close to the Lord. Give God permission. Hand our own will over to the will of the Father, which was, that gap was bridged by Jesus on the cross. He made it possible for us to enter in, to get back into the will of the Father. This was lost at the Garden of Eden when they chose for their own will, you know, as Satan had tempted them away. And I also want to mention the thing about the seal, Dina. Mm -hmm. See, Satan is a copycat of God. You know that, right? Oh, yes. (laughs) He always (laughs) wants to copy God, and there are various ways he does that, and this is one of them. He wants a seal on the people, the mark of the beast, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And But God has his own seal that he puts on the forehead of his people. He comes into the life of the individual and takes up residence, and we become his living, breathing temple of God. And so that's the situation, is the enemy is trying to lure people into taking his seal, which is, that's it. It's a fatal attraction. And uh, He also tries to copycat God with the Holy Trinity. Yes, exactly. With uh, we see in Revelation thirteen, we see that he tries to do that through um, the devil, Satan, mm-hmm. the right. Antichrist, and the false prophet. Right, right. As we have our Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he tries to copycat that too. <laughs> yes, yeah, right, right. So yeah, it but, all comes to a choice. That's it all right. comes down to a choice. And you have to make that choice. And there's no fence sitting, okay? There's no middle ground. It's either all or nothing with God. 
but we get to this next phrase that says, for love is strong as death, jealousy is cruel as the grave. And so this is an indication that God is a jealous God over his people. His name is jealous, according to scripture. And well, is that in reference to God sinning? No, no. This is in reference to the fact that he created you and he died for you and he wants a relationship with you and he's jealous over you and it's a good jealous because he wants he wants to save us from the enemy there's no good that's going to come from pursuing the enemy ever and god knows that and he is jealous over you in the way a mother is jealous over her child going after the world to its own demise it's the same look mm-hmm And aren't we glad? I'm glad he's jealous, to be honest with you. Otherwise, he wouldn't care. He'd be a God who didn't care. And so we want him to be a caring God that he is. Amen. So we go on to the coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. So the reference here are of the coals of the Holy Spirit. And we see in Isaiah that a coal was used by the seraphim in Isaiah 6 chapter 6 verses 5 through 7 where he talks about being of people with unclean lips and basically saying he himself has unclean lips and so the coal is sent from the throne of god by a seraphim to actually takes the evil out of his mouth It, it purges the evil And it's so interesting that today the coals, the whole concept of coal is charcoal is used in toothpaste and cleaning products for purification. I just think it's really interesting. And we can see the connection to God there. So in the next section, uh, verse 7, it says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. I think this passage is in reference to the floods that cannot drown love. And so who does God put on the ark? Noah and the bride who will be raptured and not swept away by the floods. Isn't that awesome? Wow. Look at that. Beautiful. And it says, if a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. And this passage is saying you cannot buy love. Even if you took all of your belongings, true love cannot be bought And if you try to buy it, then it is the ultimate insult because Jesus gave the ultimate love and no one can buy it, work for it. It's free and priceless. And we actually see that in the New Testament when Simon comes along and he wants to buy. He sees the power of the Holy Spirit that the disciples are wielding. He wants to buy it. And they're like, no way. (laughs) You know, you can't buy this. It is not up for purchase it is given freely by the power of the holy spirit and it's an insult to think you could ever put a price tag on what jesus did for us and the love he has for us there's no it's priceless okay it's eternal amen how do you put a price on something that's eternal you can't so verse 8 through 10 says we have a little sister and she hath no breasts what shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for Okay, as you recall, earlier in the story, we find the Shulamite woman has sibling brothers. And so this is a Shulamite woman as immature spiritually, described by her sibling brothers. And we can remember the deeper meaning of breast, represent the breastplate of the armor of God, which is a balance between faith and love and love and faith. 
mm-hmm. because God is about balance. And the brothers are saying, if she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. If she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. This section is talking about what it will take to develop her spiritual maturity. Silver stands for redemption, and the boards of cedar represent Jesus, who is as a cedar, which is flawless, not resistant. When I say that, I mean K-N-O-T, resistant, and with a beautiful fragrance, because we've talked about people who have cedar closets and how beautiful it is. Cedar is used by people to fend off pests like the moths that eat your beautiful sweaters. And they will do that, by the way. Those moths get in there and you don't want that. But the cedar is something that the moths resist. And that's the pest. That's so much like we talked about the anointing. When God puts an anointing on someone, that's like the oil they put around the sheep's eyes, nose and ears to keep the pests out. The holy anointing is to keep the demonic out uh, from seeing, hearing, and speaking evil that is promoted by demon spirits. And so the cedar is the same thing. It resists the moths, which is like the evil that comes in. It's all pretty much the same kind of concept as the anointing. Also, cedars are like the strong tower. They would have been, during the Song of Solomon era, they would have been tall cedars. And cedars come from Lebanon. They were mostly found in Lebanon. And they were used for the temple at that time. And they would have put forth a beautiful fragrance, which represents Jesus. And he is our tower, our strong tower. And Lebanon, the word Lebanon means white, which also stands for purity. So all of this really just ties together in an amazing way. But she goes on to say in verse 10, I am a wall and my breasts like towers. Then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. So previously, the bride is spiritually immature, as her brothers are referencing. But the groom, who is Christ, here represented by Solomon, has brought her into balanced maturity of faith and love, which is the reference to the breasts, which is referencing the breastplate of righteousness, which is of the full armor of God spoken of in the New Testament by Paul, who wrote about it. So without faith, there will be no love of Christ. And without love, there will be no true faith. So it's a balance. And she finds favor from her groom because her faith and love is towering because of him. So we can see, wow, this is all interconnected and related and in a most amazing way. So we're going to move forward into verse 11 and 12. This is really exciting. I'm really excited about getting in here. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hammon, and he let out the vineyard unto keepers. Everyone for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. So the bride or narrator is speaking about Solomon, who represents Christ in this section regarding his vineyard. So for a meaning of the name Baal Hammon, both from a study of the Old Testament, the proper names read Lord of a multitude. And you can go after the root meaning of Haman, and it reads possessor of abundance. So you get Lord of a multitude and possessor of abundance. So that, you know, speaks of the Lord 
Now, verse 12, it says, my vineyard, which is mine, is before me. So this is the bride speaking about her own vineyard. But let's go back to the beginning of the story, and we're going to wind up and go in the Wayback Machine and take a look at this. And it says, and remember what the Shulamite woman said in chapter 1, verse 6. She goes on to say, look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. So remember, the bride had a vineyard, but she could not keep her own vineyard because she had to take care of her siblings' vineyards. Okay, but now watch what happens here next in chapter 8. This is super exciting. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit thereof two hundred. And so, wow, the bride goes from having one vineyard that she was not even able to care for to being with Solomon, who had a thousand vineyards. He was the king. And so the years that the canker worm stole from the bride were replenished to her through her king. It almost reminds me of Job. Oh, yeah. He lost everything and then God restored it even more than what he had before. Oh, yeah. It is truly a great revelation here. She had a struggle. She had a life that was difficult. She had one vineyard she couldn't even take care of because she was forced to do something for other people. Whatever that story was about, whatever her troubles were, she had a troubled situation. And this king comes along and lifts her out of this trouble and puts her in front of a thousand vineyards that are his. And they are one flesh, by the way. And so the Bible goes on to talk about what is God is ours. He literally, he says that what is his, he will give to us, will be ours. Amen. And this is an example of that. I I can't get over how awesome this is because can you imagine standing somewhere and seeing a thousand vineyards, Dina? It would be a very beautiful sight. Well, that was the reality of Solomon. I mean, it says it here, and I believe it, that he was over a thousand vineyards. Well, God blessed him even more so because when he went to pray to him to for the kingdom, he asked for wisdom. And God said, I'm going to mm-hmm. give you wisdom and I'm going to give you wealth and prosperity. Right. And that's what he did. So Right. And he was and he the was- richest man during that time. He was rich and powerful. This is why he acquired so many of these brides from other countries, because they were token brides to keep the peace with him, because he was so powerful at that time. And whole kingdom ruled in peace, which is an example of Jesus, again, who will rule in peace when his kingdom is in the earth, the millennial reign of Jesus. Amen. And so this lowly bride with all these troubles in her life, she comes into the reality that she now is with her husband who owns a thousand vineyards. And that's pretty exciting, I think. Beautiful. Just beautiful. And so we are coming to our close of the greatest love story ever told, Song of Solomon, symbolic of the love of Christ for his true church. And Verse 18 says, Thou hast dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice, and cause me to hear it. So it's Jesus who dwells in the gardens of our hearts, and the companions are those who are part of the church. 
the bride who hearkens to his voice that leads the church. And I, I want to talk about this because mankind lost his way in the garden at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. And then Jesus recovers what was lost in a garden where he was laid to rest after he was crucified in the tomb of a rich man who gave that tomb for Jesus to be laid to rest. The stone was rolled away. Jesus comes out. He's resurrected. And the women come to find him. He is not there. And Mary Magdalene sees him in a garden where she mistakenly believes that he's a gardener. And, well, he is a gardener, actually. (laughs) (laughs) He's the greatest gardener of all time. But she sees him. She thinks he's the gardener. And she asks where have they put her Lord. And he turns to her in that awesome moment where she sees him and, you know, she calls him Rabini uh, teacher, which is really awesome. That moment that she realizes that it's him. And he's, he's, he's alive. And it's fascinating that he chose her Mm -hmm. to reveal himself. You know, she was the first person to see him after his uh, burial for three days. Right. And he continues to uh, fascinate us because he revealed himself as the Messiah to the woman at the well, by the way, which is the first time he does that. And um, again, very, and she was a Samaritan. So, wow, that is truly god and back in those days women were um they were held in a different type of respect than they are now (laughs) oh quite different right yeah so and these women you know they had some pretty interesting past so um both of them both of them both of them God's not, you know, always looking for the person with the the best title or the most money. With the money. best rep, right? <laughs> yeah, or the best reputation. He loves right. us all the same. And so God is started all of this in a garden, and he's going to conclude it himself in a garden. But watch this, Dina. It's not the garden like you might think. It's the garden of our hearts. It goes back to, in the story, we talked about the fig plant, the figs. Mm-hmm. And those fig plants, they really don't look that exciting from the outside. But when you cut them open, if you cut them open at just the right time, there are little flowers inside. This is representing the garden of our hearts that are for God alone. It's the secret place. It's the time we spend with the Lord. It's the garden. He actually is creating us in his own image, and he's tending this beautiful garden of our hearts and producing fruit, which is the fruits of the Spirit. I mean, there's so much to be said about a changed heart, about a person that God has taken from one point to another, somebody who is just as evil as they can be, but when Jesus gets a hold of them, (laughs) they're so changed. It's like, who is that guy right and but god can do it so the garden the ultimate garden is that garden of the heart where god finally settles the score that satan you know created in the beginning where he brings the heart back to him himself amen so verse 14 says make haste my beloved and be thou like a roe or to a young heart upon the mountains of spices So the bride is speaking and requesting that the Lord come quickly to her like the heart or deer that is swift 
and what are the mountain of spices? It is the mountain of salvation that the bride has climbed to be an overcomer through the Lord that is as a sweet fragrance. And we see the word spices again in reference to the crushing of Jesus that we've talked about before. And this is just like, wow, it is so evident that this book is about the Lord Jesus and what he has done for us, the church. And we should just all be sitting on the edge of our seats, excited over his soon coming, as we can see that he's coming. He's coming is closing in. And it's something to be so excited over. He's literally at the door. Literally, yes. <laughs> so that's the close of the study. And it, it's been really great. I've so enjoyed doing this with you, Dina. And I think we've had a fun time. And so I just wanted to share a couple of the miraculous things that took place when I was studying for this in the past. Yes, and I'd love to hear them. <laughs> Well, there's some pretty good ones. There was one time I was alone and driving in my car on the way to pick up my son to school. And without warning, I heard the Lord simply say to me audibly these words, taste that I am sweet. And so right after that experience, again, I had no foreknowledge of what I would read in the section of the devotional study I was on. And in the section that I came to, it it was all about chapter 2 verse 3 which says as the apple tree among the trees of the wood so is my beloved among the sons i sat down under his shadow with great delight and his fruit was sweet to my taste that's awesome <laughs> I had no idea i was going to be reading that in that book and it wow I, that really just was wow because i had heard him say that phrase to me earlier taste that i am sweet that's and, beautiful uh, yeah, it was really a great moment. And another really fascinating thing happened. While I was going over the devotional commentary on the Song of Solomon for a Bible study, at the time there was a storm outside which was coming into our area. And because of that storm, I had to turn on the TV weather news at the time, and I was reading the section of the study specifically all about the Lord's shield of faith over us. And I was stunned when suddenly the TV weatherman started to talk about weather front coming in, and he described it as a broad shield. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and I was wondering to myself, just how many times does a weatherman ever use a term like that? <laughs> no, sounds a, sounds a lot like God. Yeah, it was amazing he used broad shield, even as I was studying about the shield of faith. That's so awesome. that, yeah, it was really something. And, you know, there are just so many fantastic things that happen. You know, one morning I was reading my Bible in Acts 9.39 about how Christ's disciple Peter brought the woman Dorcas back to life and how her name means gazelle. Mm -hmm. Well, the section I read could be no more than four Bible verses long, and she is certainly not a well-known character in the Bible, by the way. And I simply had no rhyme or reason for reading this section. It just, I just read it randomly. Then I was preparing for the Bible study for that week. And I was shocked when I came across a section the same day that gazelles are known for their quickness. And the word gazelle in Arabic means affectionate. And also the word for gazelle is exact same Hebrew word translated beauty and makes reference to Tabitha 
is the Hebrew word, and Dorcas is the Greek word for gazelle. And so the woman abounded with deeds of kindness, mercy, and charity, and uh, she was swift to perform goodness. And it was so funny that I was studying about Dorcas that day and just happened to come on the whole study of the gazelle. Not a coincidence. No. Totally from God. I don't think so. And so I have many other wonderful experiences like this. You know, I could just go on and talk about it, but I really do want the people to, you know, go back through the study if they have a chance and they want to hear it again. And please share this with other people. And we also have a book. We have the book, the original book that I studied from for the retreats, the devotional study book of the Song of Solomon by Pastor Escher Shoshana. And let's see if I can get that link for you. It's at our website, and it is under, if you do a search on it, end times catalog, marriagesupper.wixsite.com. And Dina can put up the link for that below the video. Right now, I believe we are the only ones that have this book. The original website is not available anymore now. And we have this link to this book, this file. And we're, I think we're the only ones that have it. And it's not a book that you can order online anywhere. And so it's pretty amazing that we're the only ones that have it. But I really want people to get a hold of this book. It's an awesome read. It's a very in-depth study of this book, more so than the videos. We couldn't even touch this study because there's just not enough time on all the videos. And then also, for those who enjoy this study, we also have a Facebook page dedicated to it. If you put in the Facebook search engine, Song of Solomon, Love Story of Christ. Be sure to add that tag, Love Story of Christ, to find our Facebook page. And so you can go on down through and read a lot of the notes that we've covered in this series. Amen. And so that that about wraps it up for me. I don't think it gets any better than this. And so thank you so much, Dina, for taking part in this series. And we hope everybody will continue to share this with other people. Yes. And Susan, thank you so much for taking out the time and uh, teaching us and having us dig so much more deeper than we normally would in this particular book and um, presenting us with Holy Spirit inspired interpretations and thoughts. Thank you so much for your time on this. And thank you. Well, thanks for having me too. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Such always a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Actually, it's God's show. But um, thank you, everybody, for watching. You will also be able to find this video on BitChute and Rumble. And also Deanna, who is so amazing and so wonderful. She will upload these podcasts to Jesus 24-7 on Anchor and Spotify and Google and Apple. So you'll be able to listen to it there. And thank you again, everybody. Please do leave your comments below this video. If you have any questions or even prayer requests, we're here for you. All right, everybody. Talk to you soon and stay tuned for our next video. God bless.